Community Players Podcast Standby. Places, please. Hosts and guests, places, please. House lights, go. Hold, please. We are holding. Welcome to Places, Please, a podcast from Community Players Theater in Beatrice, Nebraska. And the third episode of our mini-series, Hold, Please, where we connect with past players from around the country and throughout the organization's history. I'm Jamie Ulmer, the Managing Artistic Director here at the theater. This week, we catch up with Curtis Reynolds. Curtis is a terrific example of how being involved in the theater from a young age can inspire an entire career path. His first show with us was 1999's production of The Music Man when he was just in kindergarten. Since then, he went on to appear in 16 Community Players productions, the last being 2012's You're in Town. After going to school at NYU, he has worked around the country and world, but it was appearing at Community Players all those years ago that inspired his involvement in the arts. He had just left a cruise ship and is temporarily back home, where he joined us from his childhood bedroom to talk about his career and reminisce about how Community Players started it all. I am joined now by Curtis Reynolds. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very happy to be here. All right. So the question on everyone's minds is, what is your community player's origin story? Ooh. How did you first get involved? And my, what is your kryptonite? My kryptonite? <laughs> <laughs> um, my story goes back to 1999. Uh, I was in kindergarten. And my mom was teaching at Tri-County High School with Eric Hansen, who was teaching the instrumental program there. And I believe he recruited me to be in uh, The Music Man. That was their musical that winter, I believe. And he knew I was uh, kind of a creative young person. I used to go with my mom to play practice at Tri-County and just kind of sit there. So I thought, uh, I think he thought I would be interested. And I got involved with The Music Man. And he created a monster. Uh, some some kind of monster. My mom said one one night after play practice, we were driving home, and I was gazing out the window dramatically, and I said, "Mom, the theater is my life now." <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And so look what happened. And, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I remember you in that show. There were a handful of kind of young uh, actors in that production, and uh, you guys were all much more uh, mature and you projected a lot more than some of the uh, older performers <laughs> and high school kids in that show. <laughs> um, so after you graduated high school, you went to New York and you've been pretty uh, actively working around the country um, ever since then. What have been some of the highlights of your journey so far? Sure. Well, right after I graduated, um, I went to Maine where I've been actually for a number of years doing different kinds of projects, but I worked at a summer stock theater called the Arundel Barn Playhouse, which is actually no more. It was uh, the summer I was there was the last summer that it was in business. And so I got to be a part of their closing season. So um, you did so well that they were like, we can never do better. We can never top this. We we're going to have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a really challenging summer. It was very a traditional summer stock experience, you know, rehearsing during the day while doing a different show at night. I made a lot of great friends there that I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, so that was performing work I did right away. Uh, what's kind of been ironic is that most of my work since graduating has been as a music director, which is not a skill set that I really used 
in Nebraska when I was growing up. I've always played the piano, but it was never something I really incorporated at community players, especially. Uh, but most of my work since graduating has been as a pianist or a music director, or as a vocal coach. I kind of started doing it as a hobby. I would, you know, play through Broadway scores or vocal selections books when I was little. I remember buying the uh, the Wicked vocal selections and like playing through with the, the cast recording. So I always knew I had, <laughs> I knew I was interested in that, but I did not ever see it as like a career path. Uh-huh. Um, when, when I was in college, I would play for friends. You know, if someone was trying to learn a song, I would maybe just like hop into their practice room and play along with them. And so it started as a hobby. And then I realized um, that I really enjoyed it and that there was actually a, a, a nice career path for that. So I started playing different concerts. I, I started playing... Uh, different venues and and coaching friends of mine, which led to coaching their friends. Uh, I've played concerts at 54 Below, which is a very popular uh, concert place in the city, Lincoln Center, the Duplex. I started working at my alma mater, NYU, as a pianist and coach. And I started working at AMDA as a pianist and coach. And so the music direction thing just kind of kept growing and I, I really enjoyed it. So it's not that I put the performance work on hold. I just found something else to focus on. And uh-huh. um, so I've always uh, tried to keep both of them alive, which can be really challenging at times. Right, right. But, uh, you know, at least you have something else that you could do. You're, you're not just a performer. Uh, you're one of those people who can actually sit down at the piano and make it sound like a musical instrument. Right. Um, as opposed to that Muppet that just bangs its head on the uh, keyboard. <laughs> you know, That's the way I play the piano. Sure. Uh, so- Um, But it it sounds like it's definitely giving you um, a lot of opportunities uh, to really continue your involvement in the arts and in music and in theater, though. Yeah, it's really allowed me to work on a lot of shows, one, that I couldn't be in as a performer. Like I worked on In the Heights. I am not right for that show at all. But uh, the the music (laughs) is very rewarding. (laughs) Uh, I've had a lot of those experiences. Um, I music directed in South Carolina and Hilton Head Island, which is a beautiful place. Um, I music directed Evita, again, another show I could never be in, but is very rewarding musically. Uh, And so it's kind of opened up this part of my career that I maybe would have never seen otherwise. And it's something about music directing is it it is creative, but it's also kind of objective. You're basically like traffic cop for the show. And so it entertains a lot of different parts of my brain. And I get to work with a lot of different kinds of actors. And uh, it's just really opened up my life in a a great way. That's really interesting how you you talk about the fact that it's enabled you to work on shows that as an actor, you're right, you never would have been in. Um, I'm sorry, as great as a performer as as you as you could be, you know, you can never stand on the balcony and proclaim don't cry for me (laughs) as much as I would love to. And yeah, (laughs) I think I I definitely took a picture up on the balcony. But well, uh, who wouldn't? I mean, if you're doing a video, you've got to go up there and and strike the pose. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, one of the things that that you did, uh, what was it, a year ago, two years ago, um, you were the music director for the national tour of the uh, parody show Spamilton. Yeah. Um, So talk about uh, that experience and uh, doing the national tour. Well, growing up, um, you know, in rural Nebraska, national tours were kind of my lifeline to see any kind of Broadway show. I remember going to the Orpheum in Omaha and the Leeds Center in Lincoln, and I was always so excited to see a national tour. And there were a couple of times I did like an after-school program in Lincoln where we got to work with the cast 
Um, and I, I always looked forward to it. And it was definitely always a goal of mine to do a national tour. Um, and then Spamilton came along. It was it started out in the city as just kind of like a concert that the Forbidden Broadway people put together as a response to Hamilton. Um, and once they realized how successful it was, they did a couple sit-down productions. Uh, they did one in Chicago, I believe, and L.A. and London. And then they uh, kept getting uh, feedback and traction for the show. So they decided to do a national tour. And I had submitted for the production when it was running in New York. They had put out uh, some kind of submission for The Pianist and The King. At that time, uh, The Pianist also played The King. And so I remember submitting for it and not hearing back at that time. And then I saw that the national tour was coming together. So I auditioned again. And uh, I basically had like a day and a half to learn this like 17-page song. And I went in and... uh, it, there was like a video camera set up and I just had to play through the whole thing. And that was my audition. <laughs> it was just kind of a wild experience. Um, and then I think it was the day before Thanksgiving, I found out that I had gotten the job and then we started rehearsals two weeks later. And I did the tour for about, uh, I want to say like eight months, eight or nine months and did close to 300 performances, which I have no experience during that long of a run of anything. Right. And, um, <laughs> It was really special. It was a national tour in the sense that we went to a lot of cities, but it was very unique in that we would sit down in the city for a long period of time, uh, often like four or five weeks, which is not very common. If you know a national tour, sometimes you're in a place for a couple days or mm-hmm. you're hitting multiple cities in a week. So that was a treat and definitely not uh, a first tour experience. Um, that's very normal for people. Uh-huh. Um, it was a very small cast. So it was a, um, a very much a family type feeling. I was the only musical support for the show. It's just a piano and actors doing basically the whole Hamilton score. And so that proved its own challenge that I did not one have any backup. Yeah. And um, I did get to perform sometimes as the King, which was a treat. And um, I don't know, it was just such a, a long term goal of mine that to finally get to do a national tour was uh, so rewarding. Yeah, and so with you being the only uh, musician on the tour, you you didn't have a pianist understudy, did you? I didn't, and there were a couple times I I never got sick. Thankfully, um, I gave myself like horse vitamins to make sure I <laughs> stayed healthy. <laughs> but um, I had to miss once for a funeral, and uh, I think one one other time I had to. Well, I I went to my sister's graduation about a year ago, and so they flew in my boss who who played the show. Um, but yeah, there was a certain amount of pressure on me just to, you know, not cut my finger off when we were. Well, out, I think that's just about. a life goal in general, I think, right, is to keep all of your appendages attached. But when, yeah. when your job is strictly connected to that, it's, uh, it's pretty stressful. I, I was <laughs> cooking once and I, I sliced the tip of my thumb and oh, I, no. I just saw my whole life flash before my eyes. Oh, no. <laughs> but we're all good now. All 10 fingers accounted for. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. I, you know, it just occurred to me, uh, why don't you uh, uh, share with us, for those who may not know what Spamilton is, what, what was that show about? Sure. Uh, like I said, it's by the people who did Forbidden Broadway, which was a very long running parody of the Broadway scene that ran off Broadway for decades, really. And um, those creators, of, of course, when Hamilton came along, they they thought it was too big of a phenomenon to just have one part of their show. So they made an entire show. 
uh, devoted to spoofing Hamilton. And it, the show basically followed Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is the writer of Hamilton, and basically him writing the show. And it's, it's uh, a lot of the Hamilton songs with parodied lyrics and a couple other Broadway standards thrown in. There's a lot of Stephen Sondheim thrown in, um, some Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, there's a big Liza Minnelli moment. Um, so that's Hamilton. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely a show for people who like theater. Um, and actually the national tour is still running and they, they have plans to open it back up after this pandemic is over as well. So it's still doing pretty well. Oh, wow. It's been all over the place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, speaking of, you are actually back in Nebraska at the moment. You were supposed to be uh, getting ready to go on to your next gig. Um, what, what, well, first of all, what were you going to go do? And then also, how? where were you right before the, you were back home for a little bit? Well, right this very second, I was supposed to be singing and playing piano in the Bahamas, but that is not happening anymore. I was working on a cruise ship as a singing pianist in a dueling piano show. That was a lot of fun. And I've been doing that since January. Um, I was supposed to do that uh, basically until mid-April and then get off in Spain. And I was going to take a little mini vacation in Spain and then uh, come back. I had a music direction job lined up in New York after that, which uh, got canceled. And then I was supposed to go to California to play Charlie Price in Kinky Boots, which also got canceled, unfortunately. And so I am uh, back in my childhood bedroom for the moment, for the foreseeable future. And it's very (laughs) strange. it's hard to think of a situation where all of Broadway is canceled and it also affects the the community theater where I grew up. Like it's it's almost impossible to think of any scenario where it could have that wide ranging effect. But um, I am back in Nebraska for the time being and just making it work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, for for everyone right now, it's that uh, that stress and that uncertainty. And honestly, I think like for theater producers, the uncertainty and a lack of a timeline and definite deadlines, um, I know personally is what's driving me insane right now, is that I can't plan out things for the next three months and I'm going bonkers. (laughs) I know. I'm kind of the same way. And it's been a very humbling reminder that we are all but human beings and we all get sick and we can't control these things. But yeah, there's so much uncertainty. I'm finding it very... Even though I'm not doing a lot of physical activity, I find myself just tired with how much mental energy I'm spending on just thinking through various scenarios of how this could play out. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that right now. Yeah, absolutely. But you do have uh, something kind of exciting that you you just recently uh, shared with uh, people on social media. Um, what's going to be happening with you in the fall? I am going to Boston Conservatory, which is now Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. They're starting a new... Master of Fine Arts program in musical theater vocal pedagogy, and it's a two-year program. Uh, it's it's kind of similar to my undergraduate experience um, in that it's uh, performance and pedagogy, and pedagogy is uh, the study of teaching, so learning how to be a voice teacher. Um, I'm really excited. I, I toured there actually when we were in Boston a year ago with Spamilton. I have a friend who teaches at Boston Conservatory, And I have been looking for different kinds of grad schools for the past couple of years. And this one kind of came up. So I I went to visit her. um, And then I auditioned for the program last fall. And I found out in uh, March that I got into the program. So it's going to be a really exciting time. It feels like a good time just to go back and 
kind of reinvest in my education while especially the arts community is rebuilding. Um, and it's taken me a while to realize that I really want to spend a lot of time focusing on teaching uh, along with my performance work. But yeah, it's going to serve as a time for me to just really invest in my future and get very serious about my, my teaching work, especially. Yeah, well, that's really cool. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, it's a, a, and it's also a big step to just go back to school. It is. It's kind of scary, honestly. Um, but I, I've given it a lot of thought. I probably, like two or three years ago, I, I started this Google Doc about, you know, uh, different kinds of grad programs. Because there's, even when you start looking at the performing arts and the different kinds of uh, continuing education you can do, there's a lot of different opinions on whether you even need it. Um, there's different kinds you can get. There's there's a lot of new programs in music direction. But I, I really felt like I had a good footing in music direction. So I, I didn't think I needed a degree in that. But I kept coming back to feeling like I really wanted to invest in my teaching work. And uh, I just was looking for a place that really resonated with me and seemed to share a lot of the same values I was building. So Boston Conservatory has filled that place for me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's, let's hear some fun. Uh, it can only happen in live theater mishap stories because we know that, that things happen all the time. And, you know, as, as performers and directors and music directors, we all have this little arsenal of, oh my gosh, this one time. Uh, <laughs> stories. Uh, so um, what are some of your more memorable uh, moments like that? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot. I, I have some community player specific ones that actually go back to the music man. My mom loves to remind me that I was uh, late for a scene once because I was talking to you in the lobby. And <laughs> um, I apparently was talking to you. And then I heard, you know, the music go on for the, the next scene because everyone was singing at the same time. And this is actually the performance that we have videotaped. So when you watch the videotape, you just see the entire cast sitting on stage and then me just quietly walking to my seat <laughs> when the <laughs> lights are up. Um, so that was the, the first one I can think of. Um, and then I, I remember in A Christmas Story, there was, you know, the scene where he says the bad word and has to have soap in his mouth. And we had a prop bar of soap that was... Um, made out of like plastic or something and then we had for some reason like a real bar of soap sitting next to it and i remember one of the performances i grabbed the real bar of soap instead and oh, had no. to spend the whole scene so there's not much acting going on that performance it was yeah. a real bar of soap uh in terms of like post community players I, i've been fortunate that i haven't had any like big wardrobe malfunctions on stage or like been a part of anything truly wacky um i was music directing my first show at NYU, which was Catch Me If You Can, and the band was on stage about nine feet up on a platform, which was kind of scary. Um, my bass player almost fell off the back, but we there was one show where you know something went awry on stage. Someone like jumped a line or something, and my band was like spread out pretty horizontally. So I I remember um, I had to like get everyone back on the same measure number without like yelling or <laughs> making oh, a no. scene. So I had to like walk up and down this this platform while trying to calmly, you know, get the show under control. Um, and yeah, the theater is full of stuff like that, where you probably don't even realize something has gone awry, but um, you have to just solve the problem in, in whatever way you can. Uh, 
yeah, yeah solve the solve the problem in a, in in that moment and in a way that no one notices. Right. And I think both of those stories are great examples of you know little baby Curtis. Just I remember that too. The you just casually walked on stage like you that was when you were blocked to make your entrance and you just walked on and sat down. Yeah. Um, uh, but also you know you know with the uh, the music directing experiences, you, you, what the audience doesn't know went wrong. As far as they know, nothing ever went wrong. That's true. And a lot of it's just keeping your composure and not uh, telegraphing it on your face, really. Yeah, yeah. Make, making that face that a, a skilled director um, can look at an actor's face and read, as I always say, <laughs> the, the actor marquee that scrolls across your foreheads um, that says what your inner monologue is actually saying as you're doing things on stage. Of course. Um, and and oftentimes you would need to get a bar of soap put in your mouth from the things that <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> those little marquees say. Oh yeah. Um, so um, if you had to think of one show or moment that best summarizes your experiences here at Community Players, what what would that be? I had a really great time coming back. I think it was the summer after I started NYU, and the young adult program was. Uh, was going on back then and we decided to do urine town and for me that always sticks as one of my favorite memories uh that was also the summer i got to direct aladdin for the stars of summer uh production and that was just a really great summer for me in the theater it was i you know when you go to college yes you're going into a new place but you still have so many connections to your your life back home and so I definitely was in that in-between place of like trying to find my footing in New York, but still really missing Nebraska. And so that was a great summer for me to come back to a place I love and do work that felt really important. And I was really proud of what we put together that summer. And it had everything that I loved about community players, which is the, that family feeling and doing really high quality work and um, kind of surprising people with what we can put together in a small town. And so I think that will always live on in my memory as a great yeah. time. Yeah, th that was uh, quite the summer. I remember that with uh, with you directing um, Aladdin Jr., which was a huge cast and was a huge audience as well. And then you're in town, uh, like sold out its entire run. Uh, and it was a really amazing production as well. Um, but I also remember that you pretty much lived at the theater that entire summer. I definitely did. Um, I don't know if I could do that's one of those experiences I look back and like I definitely couldn't do that now if I tried. <laughs> I was yeah. writing on that that uh 20 something adrenaline, but um yeah. it was very therapeutic for me in a way to just like go back and be in that building. Um and for some reason I decided to have surgery like a month before Urine Town opened. Uh and <laughs> it healed in I time remember for the show. That. But um yeah, it was kind of I, a I wild like summer. You had, you had like a, a weird nose mask or something on. It looked like you had gotten into a barroom fight I or know. something. It was one of those surgeries that looked way worse than it actually felt. But um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely played up the uh, the how bad it looked and <laughs> getting yeah. sympathy from people. <laughs> oh, always a manipulator. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, so, is there a show, role, or program that you would have liked to have done while you were here? Um, that you didn't get a chance to do? I've been thinking about this. Honestly, I have so many fond memories and I had so many great performance opportunities. If there's anything I wish I could have done, it would have been stuff that I could have done in my youth that I can't do now, like playing any kind of kid roles or teen roles that 
now especially since i went bald a couple of years ago <laughs> like my my days as like duty in greece are over i'm no longer yes. a newsie i always wanted to do spelling bee and i'll never get over my trauma of not getting to do spelling bee oh um, no <laughs> although i guess it was our adults playing kids so maybe someday i can redo it but um yeah just anything or, like that <laughs> so you were involved in a lot of shows uh here at community players while you were here um, are there any that are like a favorite role? Favorite role. Hmm. Or a role that you would like to play again? I really love playing LeFou in Beauty and the Beast. That always, I don't know, something about that felt like really me. <laughs> I don't know if it's like <laughs> the anxious sidekick is just what I'm destined for, but um, I will always have fond memories of that show. I also got to do it with a lot of my friends. Um mm-hmm. So that was definitely a favorite. Um, uh, I, I guess I come back to to Urinetown. I loved playing Bobby in Urinetown. And actually I have to give a shout out to Matt Jurgens, who started the, the young adult program by doing Edges, which kind of introduced me to contemporary musical theater and Pasek and Paul and just that whole world, which honestly, um, had I not had that experience, I probably would not have been as interested in in that genre of theater. And so mm-hmm. I have to thank Matt for that experience if he's listening, um, because that really shaped me as well. All right, well, as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else that you uh, want to add or any particular like fond fond memory uh, about uh, community players that comes to mind? No, I mean, as I get, I say no, and then I have much to add. <laughs> yeah, then, you, then you whip out your notebook with eight pages of things. <laughs> I, I said no, and that there's not a specific memory I have to share. It's more as I, as I work in this industry and I, I get further along and meet a lot of people and do a lot of different kinds of work. I've, I've just come to realize how how good we have it here in small town Nebraska and how uh, fortunate we are to have a very supportive arts community because not everyone has that. A lot of my friends I knew who grew up in other places, while we all kind of ended up in the same place, they didn't necessarily have the same support growing up. And so I just feel very fortunate to have had that because I really don't know how I would have ended up otherwise. I, I'm not sure, had I not had that outlet, um, I, one, would not maybe have been as confident as a, a young person. I would not have had that outlet for my physical voice uh, because I remember feeling pretty insecure otherwise as, as a young person in theater is always mm-hmm. a place I could express myself. And the arts have definitely changed for me as I as I get older, they mean other things besides self-expression. But definitely when I was younger, that was the first place I truly felt comfortable as a person. And so I just have a lot of gratitude for this place. Uh, and I, I'm always proud when I follow community players on social media to see what they're doing and the productions just keep getting bigger and better and more beautiful. And so it makes me really happy to see the community supporting uh, the arts here and that everyone is still having such a great time. And Jamie's really getting into the social media <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm always there for a Monday moment. Uh, oh yes. Yes. So, <laughs> just have a lot of pride for my home theater. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for that. And, and I do want to just say this just popped into my head, you know, one, one memory that I want to leave you with um, that I have of you, it was the two of us on stage together um, when we did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh yes, that one definitely came uh, to mind as well. Yeah, and uh, uh, it was it was a a conversation that we had um, as we were trying to cast the show, 
um, and I don't know if I've ever told you this. Um, we were we were talking about okay, who's gonna some of the a lot of the parts kind of fell into place, but those two main con men roles we were not quite sure what to do with, and you had auditioned and and um, auditioned very strongly, um, and then the problem kind of became who can we cast uh, opposite you to be your foil. Uh, and and I think it was Jim McNeil who was music directing that show, and, and Jim and I were talking. It's like, well, Cass Curtis has this. I, I suppose I'm going to have to go up against him here uh, <laughs> to to be his equal. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that was what, one of those memories that I have of of working on that show, which was a lot of fun too. Yeah, I remember that was the fall of my senior year of high school, uh, and it was uh, just a great experience to kind of launch me into my my last year there. And I also remember that was the fall. My parents decided to get me a personal trainer at the YMCA. (laughs) I have so many memories of like going to school all day and then going to see my personal trainer at the YMCA and like growing up in the bathroom and then going to Dirty Rotten Scoundrel (laughs) practice and having a lot of thoughts about what have I gotten myself into. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And it was just a preview for what uh, life in the entertainment industry was going to be all about. Oh, yeah. It's all glamour. (laughs) All of it. Yeah, (laughs) It's all thrown up in the bathroom and uh, and uh, charging (laughs) through the through the moment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for for making time to join us today. It was really nice to uh, chat with you, catch up with you and share some memories. Absolutely. You know, I'm free until September. So anytime you need me, I'm here. <laughs> is, it, is, is that a hint? Are you are you looking for a job? Uh... Oh, maybe. You never know when the world yeah. is going to resume function. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, uh, we by the time this podcast drops, we will have announced um, the season for next year, Ooh. and and I will say um, there is a blast from the past for you that is going to be opening next season, and uh, we are opening next season with the Music Man. Wow! Uh, so, and it's going to run the first week of September is when it opens. So I'm just throwing that out there for you, Maybe sir. Maybe can finally play Winthrop, which I yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us today and um, best of luck with all of your uh, work in the future. Thanks so much for having me. Once again, thank you to Curtis Reynolds for joining us today and talking about his career and what Community Players has meant to him. This podcast is a production of Community Players in Beatrice, Nebraska. Be sure to follow us during this time on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with the hashtag HoldPleaseCP. You can help us keep our programming alive by going to our website, BeatriceCommunityPlayers.com, making a donation, buying CP merch, or ordering a gift certificate for future productions. Thank you, and stay safe because we want to see you again at the theater. Please stand by. We are continuing to hold.